If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have one for you. It should be marked to John chapter 14. So next week we'll get back into our study of Galatians. If you're visiting, we go verse by verse the scriptures. We'll have a verse by verse study on Wednesday uh, in Proverbs. We'll jump back into Proverbs. But today, uh, topical just for today, John chapter 14. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but if you open to that, um, to that book, turn uh, to the 11th verse, and I'm going to read a, a, just a few verses just to start with, and then uh, we'll kind of read a few uh, throughout uh, 11 through verse 31. But I'm just going to read verses 11 and 12 and the end of verse 31 together, and then we'll kind of fill in the blanks in between. Starting in uh, verse 11, John chapter 14. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to, the fa- to my Father. Go to the very end of the chapter, the last uh, several words of verse 31. Closing words of the chapter in verse 14, Jesus says, Arise, let us go from here. Arise, let us go from here. Let's pray again. Lord, we just ask now that your word would come alive, it would touch our hearts, it would change us because we would be willing to receive and respond to whatever it is that your spirit would speak. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, as, um, as long as we are marked by time, and we certainly all are, as long as we're here on the earth in our mortal bodies, we need fresh starts, don't we? We need new beginnings and reminders from God how to advance and how to make progress. And you, I don't care how old you are, you still need fresh starts and new beginnings, and you still need God's wisdom on how to progress forward. God gave us the sun, he gave us the moon that makes the, 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 every day of the year. We, we follow the calendar. He gave us the seven-day week, didn't he? Right at the beginning, he gave us that seven-day week so we'd have a new week every week. New week starts. He gave us the 24-hour day marked by the sun and the moon. And he tells us in his word what? We love this passage. His mercies are new what? Every day. Every day. Because every day we have another opportunity to receive God's grace. We truly need new days and new years and new starts in our lives as believers. I know I need new years. How about you? I mean, even the world seems to sense this. They have their New Year's resolutions this year, no chocolate. That lasts about two days, but nevertheless. New starts always bring us back, though, as Christians, new starts bring us back to old truths and eternal truths. Amen? New starts for us as believers always bring us back to the old truths, the cornerstone things that from God himself. Spiritually speaking, nothing new and valuable happens apart from the truth of God. Did you hear that? Spiritually speaking, nothing new, there's no new work apart from the old truths of God. Jesus himself said, behold, 
I make all things new. Do you notice who makes everything new? Jesus said he does. He's still the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. God desires to do a new work in our lives. He wants us to go forward. He wants us to see victory. He wants us to see growth. He wants us to see maturity. But how? How how do we see these things in our lives? Do we need a new bestseller from a, really when it's a famous worldwide pastor, a bestseller from a famous world, do we need that? And by the way, I appreciate a lot of books. I'm sure many of you do too. I go to Lifeway, I appreciate the new book. But we really don't need a new book. Do you realize that? If you never read a new bestseller ever again, you you actually will be okay if you follow Jesus. No. It's going back to the very things Jesus said and promised. It's going back to those things he said and promised. It's going back to the... That's why he wrote in the the first three chapters of Revelation, the letters to the churches, he told them to go back to the very things he had already said. They were following new things, new authors, new writers, new uh, ways of doing things. The old ways bring the new work. We tend to slide away and we tend to get sidetracked individually in our lives. Would you agree? We tend to slide away and get sidetracked. We get sidetracked with really dumb things, too. I'm just going to visit Facebook for two minutes. I'm just going to visit this website for a few minutes. I'm just going to go do, I'm just going to go shop, window shop. I, I don't window shop, but some people do. But I get sidetracked with my own stuff. I'm just going to watch five minutes of this game. Oh, no, it's going to overtime, right? We get sidetracked easily. But God, he never moves. He never gets sidetracked. He never, ever changes. Aren't you glad God never changes? In a world that's constantly changing, and not for the the good, God never changes, ever. Never changes. And yet, if the things that Jesus has given us, if they are followed, they bring newness to our life. They bring victory. No matter how old we are, how young we are, they bring newness to us. Victory. The Lord gave me this passage that um, we're going to go through this morning. He gave me this passage a couple of months back for New Year's Day. I mean, as clear as a bell, I was studying, and I said, that's it? I always preach a New Year's-ish message uh, before I go back into our, top, uh, into our verse-by-verse study. And this is the passage the Lord gave me for a couple different reasons. And I had three-fourths of the title, Go Forward In, and I didn't have the last word. Go forward in. I had a bunch of them in my mind. Go forward victory. Go forward in this. Go forward in that. And I was on my knees in prayer about 10 days ago, and it came like it just dropped out. It said surrender, which was an odd word to have. When you think about it from a military term, go forward and surrender, those are conflicting terms. To go forward in surrender, but not in God's economy, right? In God's economy, our way forward is surrendering at the foot of the cross, whatever it is that Jesus is speaking to us. So I didn't get this final word until about 10 days ago, but if you're taking notes, the title of today's uh, message and time of the word, go forward in surrender. And really, this is the key that God wants us to learn. 
Now, the title, as I mentioned, contradictory, but this is how spiritual victory and renewal takes place in our life. This is how God works. Our surrender brings us forward in every aspect, whatever it is in your life. If you need to move forward and you feel like you've been in a wilderness period where you're going round in circles, the way forward is surrender. And then God opens doors that previously weren't open. He can do it in a day. He doesn't always do it that way, but you'll start to see those doors start to swing open in time. But we'll not only be looking at surrender this morning, because that alone isn't enough. You'd say, whoa, what do you mean surrender's not enough? It's not enough. We'll be looking at the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit to help us stay surrendered, right? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to talk about it in this text. He's going to talk about, I'm going to send you the helper. Surrender is where it starts, but we need the work of the Holy Spirit to help us stay surrendered and to keep re-surrendering. I will have to surrender a lot of times in 2017. How about you? Today will not be the end of this. You might want to revisit this message in July or maybe April or February. And it's not going to take long before your, your flesh will not want to surrender and you have to go back. But you're going to have the help of the Holy Spirit. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have not only the command to surrender, but you have the help. If we do this, even the gates of hell can't prevail against us. That's what Jesus said. That's not just the church. The gates of hell have not prevailed against the church. In the 2,000 years since Christ, the church is moving forward, but it won't prevail against us individually. It'll come against us. Don't get me wrong. The gates of hell will still come against you, but it won't prevail against you. Do you see the difference? And the fiery darts will still come, but they can be quenched by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, in the body of Christ, we individually and collectively, we need more surrender, don't we? We need more of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We can accomplish nothing in our flesh, absolutely nothing. And nothing will happen without the help of the Holy Spirit. And this will be a focus for us in 2017. That you know, I felt like the Lord from about November through now has been just stirring me to say, remind the church that they need the Holy Spirit. Remind the church they need the Holy Spirit. Remind yourself, you need the Holy Spirit. I mean, to, this is God talking to me. You can know all the right stuff. You can follow guidelines, even scriptural guidelines, but if you don't have the help of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll fall away. I'm not saying you're going to give up your salvation, but you'll just easily become sidetracked, and it won't take long before you're no longer really following with a passion and a zeal for the Lord, but the Holy Spirit stirs that on a regular basis. He's like a constant alarm clock, right? Right? Not just at 7 a.m. That alarm clock will go off at 2 in the afternoon when you're at work saying, you're getting sidetracked. Stay surrendered. Stay surrendered. Stay yielded. I want to look at four things this morning in the text. And we read the first couple of verses in, in verses 11 and 12. And you notice that it starts with uh, believe. In verse 11, believe me. Jesus says, believe me. Yeah, in a few minutes, he's going to talk about things to do, but I want to find, what's the first two words in believe? Be. This is a part of, this believe is part of being in Jesus. But nothing of God's will for our life, nothing of eternal value, nothing of power, nothing of growth, nothing of impact, nothing of transformation, nothing miraculous, 
can or will happen without us first believing. The book of John mentions the word believe more than any of the four Gospels. There has to be believe. There has to be belief, first and foremost, in all of us. We can believe in lots of things. We can believe in our own abilities, right? We can believe in our intelligence or our perceived intelligence. Other people are not believing in our intelligence. We can believe in that. We can believe in our finances. Some people have uh, finance in great shape. Some are not. We can believe in our careers. We can believe in our leaders. We can believe in our support network. But Jesus, well, he eliminated every other entity when he said what? Right there in the first part of verse 12. uh, Verse 11, believe in me. He He undercuts everything else. Believe in me. Didn't say believe in yourself, didn't say, you know, the power of positive thinking. Believe in me. Not just for salvation, which is what we receive, but for life. Because after you got saved, you still have a life to live, right? I got saved in 1995. Me and my wife walked forward, you guys know, same day, June 1995, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. If that was the end of the story, I'm not standing here preaching today. But there was a life to be lived after that. Now, I look forward to eternal life. And the scriptures say we're already seated in the heavenlies right now because God in eternity future already sees us there. But we have a life to live before that takes place when we step out of this time into eternity. So we have salvation through belief. But our purpose and what he set before us to accomplish, that still remains. And there... There were no works that were done or, or could be done for salvation. You and I couldn't work for our salvation. We understand that, right? Not like I walked forward that day and said, uh, because I've done enough Hail Marys and rosaries and whatever else that, uh, you know, I, I do this and, uh, you know, some type of uh, effort. You think about, like, in you know, Islam, I, you know, take, take a trip to Mecca or whatever it is. None of those things, God didn't, works were not what brought us salvation, We had to believe and believe and receive salvation by grace through faith with repentance. That was was the foundation of our salvation. But we don't do salvation. We receive salvation. That makes sense? We don't do salvation. We receive salvation. That said, our beliefs don't end with salvation. Our belief does not end with salvation. That was the starting point. That's the starting point of our belief. That's where salvation was entered into. But we know that God is not, we know God is not willing that any should perish. So those that respond to his will receive salvation, but he's not done with them after salvation. He wants them to continue, he wants us to continue to believe in and on Christ, for the remainder of our lives, right? Not just the, the starting point of salvation, but that belief carries forward. And by the way, the same is true of grace. Think about with this with grace. We receive Christ by grace, but the same amazing grace that saved us is the same grace that continues to mature us, refine us, and transform us, right? So grace was a was in a, you can't get saved without grace, you can't get saved without belief, but both of them move forward for the rest of your life. 
Notice the wording in verse 12. Look at the words in verse 12. Uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do. Hmm. If our belief is genuine, we will then go and do. Jesus said, he who believes in me will do. Now, those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. He who believes in me will do. Didn't say, those who believe in me, it is possible that they might actually do something. Didn't say that, does it? He says, those who believe in me will do. Isn't that great? You don't have to wonder, I wonder if I could ever do anything for the Lord. No, if you're saved, you will. Because God will not let his children atrophy. He's going to stir them. Will do. Now, when we look at the fact that um, he's called us to do something, it's not that he needs us to do something. It's that he saved us for his own plans and purposes, right? He doesn't really need us to do anything. We agree with that, right? He could send a bunch of angels to, to knock, all, knock everything out. But he saved us because he's going to use us to reach others. And think about this belief in doing. George MacDonald, he said, a man's real belief is that which, we, which he lives by. What a man believes is the thing he does, not the thing he thinks. God doesn't need, or, and, and certainly doesn't desire, and certainly hasn't placed from the body of Christ, a bunch of spiritual thinkers. He's placed Holy Spirit-activated living organism that goes forward in the Holy Spirit to do his works. Not just to well, know a bunch of stuff. I mean, knowledge just puffs up, right? You can have a lot of knowledge. But he's activated us to do something with this belief that brought us into salvation. Brother and sister, if you are in Christ, what is it that he's calling you to do? When you think about this new year, you think about 2017, what's he calling you to do? I'm not saying that he's calling you to uh, you know, become a pastor. You would have to know that you were called to be a pastor. Other people would have to see that call in your life. I'm not saying he's calling you uh, to go live in a foreign country. He might. But there may be little things that he's been knocking on your heart for a long time that he's calling you to do, that he's stirring you. What are the works he's prepared for you? He has prepared works for everyone. Read Ephesians 2.10. Every one of us were prepared for good works. I don't care where you live. I don't care what your occupation is. I don't care if you're male or female, young or old. God has prepared good works for you to be walking in. He who believes will do. Now, Jesus said even greater works. Now, you might, That verse, I remember the first time I read it when I was saved, how is it possible I would do greater works than Jesus? Well, in a sense, you won't. We'll never do greater works than Jesus. But in a sense, we do in this respect. Uh, this is just my way of trying to wrap my head around what he's saying here. And I think the full weight of what he's saying, we won't really understand until we get to heaven what he fully meant by this statement because it's a very deep statement. But I, I think about this. It's a pretty amazing miracle. In a sense, when you see Jesus walk on water, even though it's a miracle, you're not surprised because you know he's God. Does that make sense? When Jesus walks on water, you know it's a great miracle. You know no one else can do it. But in a sense, you're just not surprised because you're like, well, he's God. He spoke those waters into existence. I, I believe any miracle, did, it's not hard for me to believe that Jesus raised people from the dead because I know he created life out of nothing. So if he wants to say to a dead body, rise, I know he can do that. But if I do anything of value, that's a miracle. 
right? We're nothing but dust and ashes. We don't bring anything to the table. And he's saying that it's, it's going to be a great miracle that you guys will do anything, is what he's saying to the disciples. That you will accomplish anything is a great miracle. Even greater, in a sense, because you guys can't do anything. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're, you and I are made of dust and water. That's what we turn to at the end. We're made of, once the water's gone, it's just dust. We're born in sin. We're woefully imperfect, even to this day, January 1st, 2017. And if you're not sure about this, just ask your spouse. They'll let you know, <laughs> even if they love you. And yet, God will use us to bring life-giving power to other people. Us. And we bring nothing to the table. Paul said he was the chief of all sinners, so he considered it a constant miracle, anything he did of value. I've been amazed over the years, knowing how flawed and imperfect I am, and how far from the perfection of Christ I personally am, even though I've grown over the years, I still see the gaps. And I've been amazed that over the years, I've seen lives 100% changed. People I could bring up on stage and introduce you one after another that have been completely and radically changed simply because I shared the gospel with them. I couldn't convince them it was true. I couldn't get inside their mind and actually say, I tweak this, tweak this, and now you'll believe it. They responded not to me because they responded to me. They would have found all the flaws. But they responded to the gospel, which has power. Amen? Amen? I don't have any power to change people's lives. Neither do you. But if you can speak a word anointed by the Holy Spirit and just get out of the way, greater miracles can take place. See, the thing is, these lives that have been changed, they simply first believed, right? Not my words, but Christ's words. And then they followed with a pure heart. Not my words, but supernatural words. And everything changed. You know the story of Balaam and the donkey in the Old Testament? It's in Numbers chapter 22. Remember, the donkey finally sees that an angel's in front and is going to slay Balaam. And uh, so finally the donkey speaks. In a sense, you and I are both the donkey and Balaam. Right? We're Balaam a lot of times because we're going against God in some way, shape, or form. And we're also sometimes the donkey because sometimes God even uses us to speak something valuable. I used to think that everything was once and then. The more I looked at it, I said, we're both. We're Balaam and the donkey. But God, if we just believe, he can use even us. I want to look at the next part of this text, but we didn't read. Look at verses 15 and 16. Jesus said in verse 15, he goes on, he says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world, verse 17, cannot receive. If we surrender, if you're taking notes. Now, our salvation began with belief, as we just looked at, but it also began with surrender. Because belief and surrender are very connected. We believe that Jesus was and is our only hope. You believe that? Do you believe Jesus is your only hope? I mean, nothing else. You don't think it's Calvary Chapel? You don't think it's the worship team? They're really good, but they're not, they're not, they can't get you to heaven. They can't even get you through tomorrow. 
It's not someone's book, as we talked about. You believe Jesus is your only hope, not even your spouse. Jesus is your only hope, okay? We, we believe that. That's the belief. But then we have to surrender to that belief at the foot of the cross. We have to surrender. And there we ask for his mercy. We ask for his grace. We ask for his forgiveness. We did that for salvation, and I do it all the time for daily cleansing. How about you? We were grateful. A load came off our shoulders. If those of you have been saved, you remember the load you felt come off. You're like, wow, why did I wait this long? But surrender, actually, you thought, because the unsaved world thinks surrender means new misery. When it actually means the end of misery. That's what they, they think surrender means I now will have the boring, most uh, horrible life, and I'm going to have to follow the commandments of God. When you find out you were actually created to find the follow the commandments of God, you actually find misery goes away, and truly, your burdens are left at the foot of the cross. That's what surrender does. We obeyed the gospel in repenting, and we loved that free gift of salvation back when you got saved. And by the way, it's good to remember, Paul recounts his testimony three times in the book of Acts. You've got to remember, I left it there, I left it there. But Jesus calls his children not only to love that original gift, what does he say here? If you love me, he doesn't want you to love the gift of salvation only. He wants you to love the giver of the gift. That makes sense? It's one thing to love the Christmas present you got. Your parents would rather you love them than the gift they gave you. Or your grandparents would rather you love them than the gift they gave you. Right? Jesus said, I want you to love the gift. The gift of salvation is a wonderful thing to love, but he's like, I want you to love me more than the actual gift. Now, that doesn't happen the day of salvation. None of us when we got saved love Jesus more than we love salvation. Not a, and we know, we know this is true. At the end of the book of John, read Jesus' conversation with John. John, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. John, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. John, do you love me? And Peter says, more like in the Greek, Lord, you know I like you. Right? It's basically what he says back. Why? Because the love has to grow. You might love salvation, but you don't automatically love Jesus. I don't know if that's new news to you, but it's not. That doesn't come immediately. It has a cultivated relationship. How many of you love your spouse more now than when you first got married? I hope you do. That love should be cultivated. It should grow. How do we make ourselves develop a deeper love for Jesus? Well, you can't make yourself. You can't make yourself have a deeper love for Jesus. You can't simply say to yourself, that's it, I'm going to love Jesus more, and I'm going to feel more love for him starting right now. No. In no time, maybe a few days, maybe a few hours, maybe a few weeks, your love for Christ will grow lukewarm, a little bit cold, a little bit indifferent. It won't take long at all. We cannot just make affirmations of love. That makes sense? You cannot just make an affirmation. That's it. I'm going to love him more, and it starts now. Don't anyone try and stop me from loving Jesus more right now. Affirmations don't work. It only comes through surrender. Surrender is not the same as an affirmation. You can watch the TV shows and the power positive thinkers talk about affirmations. They don't work. Surrender actually works. Romans 12, 1. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. That's not an affirmation. That's surrender. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things will be added. You've got to surrender to the kingdom of God, and then I'll add these, I'll add these other things to your life. But it, you can't get it turned around. You can't say, I'll get the other things, and then I'll seek first. It doesn't work that way. It never will. We will never change God's mind on this, by the way, ever. Surrender our priorities is what Jesus is saying. Surrender your priorities. Surrender my priorities. Whatever your priorities are, God says, surrender them, and I'll arrange them how I want them. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. If maybe you haven't heard this verse in a while, it's good. I, I had completely forgotten about this verse. The Lord popped it into my mind. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Brother and sister in Christ, this is Jesus speaking to every single one of us. He said, it's time to stop being a child. It's time to grow up in me. Hebrews says it this way, laying aside every weight that's constantly holding us back from going forward. Surrender and obedience, they go hand in hand. Presenting ourselves, all of ourselves as a sacrifice, that goes against our flesh, doesn't it? I don't like being a living sacrifice. I don't like being stepped on. I don't like people to, hey, they don't recognize what I did. I don't recognize the amount of effort I put in. We don't like being living sacrifices, but we're still called to do it. This is the command of Christ. It's the same as Jesus saying, take up your what? Cross and follow me. Hebrews 12, 1, I mean, uh, Romans 12, 1, and take up your cross, same concept. <coughs> surrender. What does God say? He might be saying, surrender the time you go to bed. Surrender your me time. Well, I, I can't give up that. It's all about me anyway, right, you know? Surrender your me time. Maybe your hobby is taking too much time now. Maybe at first it was just a hobby. Now it's actually engulfed. Maybe it's the little league sports. Now run your life. Oh, I stepped on some toes there. It, all these kind of things, all of them. Jesus will, he, by the way, when you spend time with the Lord, he'll examine it all, not just the things. You say, well, you can look at this side of my life, but this side, is, I, I run. You say, really? I can put you in the hospital bed tonight if I want to, right? right. God has a lot of ways to get our attention. Maybe some of the, the constant defeat we're in is our own fault because he's saying, I'm not going to let this up until you surrender. Remember Jacob? He had to tweak his hip. He got Jacob's attention, by the way. And after that, he became Israel. And then things went a lot better for Jacob, right? I have found over time that sometimes I'm kicking against the goads after salvation, not just before salvation. I'm kicking against the goad, and God's saying, you are going to bang your head on this until you do it the way I told you to do it. And I'm like, I surrender, Lord. I finally do it. I get it right. I get it, right? Because I'm pretty stubborn. My wife will tell you, I'm a, I've had a hard head. But God acts a way to speaking to us. And it's not out of condemnation, it's out of love. Why? Because he wants to set us free from things, not the other way around. All of these things, surrender and obedience, presenting ourselves before the Lord. I don't know what it is that, you know, God may want you to give up a few more hours to serve him. 
He might have been pressing your heart for a long time. I want you to serve me in this area. I want you to, whether it's children's ministry, I want you to go do this or go write, finally write that letter to family member so-and-so. Well, I don't want to write it because they're not going to like, they're never going to invite us to Christmas again. Maybe they get saved and shock you. And we were the whole time holding up the train, if you, so to speak. If you resist and say, maybe, maybe I'll do it later, well, that's disobedience which is a refusal to surrender. Disobedience is just a refusal to surrender. And disobedience, according to Jesus, is choosing not to love him. And we don't want that, do we? We don't want to be told that. So you're choosing not to love me, is what Jesus would say. That's his words, not mine. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's the one that said, take up your cross. He's the one that said, seek first the kingdom. He's the one that said, let me prioritize your life. You see, loving Christ begins with, it begins first with gratitude for salvation, right? We have that gratitude for salvation, but it will die without obedience. Do you agree with that? Salvation begins with gratitude and belief, but it will die without obedience. Not that our salvation is dead, but our life just becomes stagnant, lukewarm, and cold. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. In other words, when we just obey, the love will actually follow and it will deepen, as will faith, as will hope, as will the other fruits of the Spirit. They follow obedience. Jesus says the same thing about money and possessions, which is a big deal in America because everybody loves money and possessions in this country. That's why every TV commercial is about more stuff, right? We love money and possessions in this country, but Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. Again, his words, not mine. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, a lot of people hear that verse, and they don't really process what Jesus just said. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You don't say, when God gives me the heart to give to the ministry of the church or to give to missions or to give to people who are hurting and down, then I will start giving. Jesus said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. No, when you, out of obedience, you start giving to Christ, then your heart becomes compassionate about the work of God, and you become excited about those things. You have to give to it first, which is the complete opposite of the way we think. We think we have to have a love for it first, then we'll actually give. No, no, you give. Once you give, your heart will actually go there. And the same way when it comes to obedience, once we obey, then our heart follows in loving Christ. We then will begin to love him. He makes our heart aligned to his out of obedience. Now, what will Christ do with our belief and obedience? Well, we'll see miracles. We'll see changed lives. We'll have a purpose in our own life. And the very things that other people are dying to try and find, we actually will present them. It all comes by the Spirit of God. The very things everybody's looking for, these come through belief and surrender. Now, he mentions here, I will pray the Helper and he will give you I'll pray to the Father, and he will give you a helper. We want to take a look at what is Jesus talking about here. He said it wasn't just surrender that we need. We also need the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verses, um, uh, look at verses 20 and 21 also. And, and that you will know uh, that I am in my Father, and my Father in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and my Father, and I love him, and I'm sorry, he who loves me is, uh, oh, back in verse 20, I'm sorry, 
I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, all of that, I and you, you and me, we're all together, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? That we are in the Father, the Father's in us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But he goes on and speaks of it more in verses 25, and, uh, or starting verse 26. Drop down to verse 26. It says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now if you go back up to verse 16, where the first time we see, and he will give you another helper, and we see that same word helper in uh, in verse 26. So twice Jesus mentions helper. Some of your Bibles may say comforter depending on the, uh, the translation you have. Some of your Bibles uh, may say that. In referencing the Holy Spirit here. In verse 26, Jesus emphatically says, drop down to verse 26 one more time, but the helper, not a helper, the helper. He emphatically says the Holy Spirit is the helper. The word for helper in the Greek is parakletos, And it means one who pleads another's cause before a judge, counsel for defense, an advocate, or an intercessor. Now, Jesus talks about we have an advocate with the Father. It's actually the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that utters even groanings that we don't understand on our behalf at times in our prayer life. We're like, I don't even know what to pray. But if you just get on your knees, the Holy Spirit is already working on your behalf and on my behalf. The Holy Spirit, by the blood and grace of Jesus, takes us into the throne room of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit that takes us there. Why? Because we don't see the throne room. This is an invisible work of the Spirit. Amen? The Spirit's here right now. I can't see the Spirit. It's the Spirit that's either allowing these words to sink deep in your heart or not and anointing them. And making them come alive. The helper and the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus. Now he's already come by the power of the Holy Spirit. The help of the Holy Spirit. He's already, I'm sorry, he's already come. But it's by his help and by his power that we have activation of the work of the Spirit in our life. Again, he's already come. If you've been saved, when you said, Lord, cleanse me of my sin, forgive me. I want to be a son or daughter of Christ. I want you to cleanse me from all my sin. The Holy Spirit's come in. We all receive the Spirit with salvation. But the work of the Holy Spirit in producing a life of surrender, well, that's activated as we continually surrender. And the Holy Spirit then takes us from glory to glory and grace to grace, and we continue to grow. You may have one of those really cool, powerful Dyson vacuum cleaners. You've seen those, right? The British dude that you know, keeps coming out with another version of it that uh, is cooler than the last one. You might have one of those Dyson vacuum cleaners. Uh, we have one from back when I used to make money, and uh, it, it works really good to this day. And um, uh, it, it, You might have one that's ready to handle any job, but you still have to bend your knees and go a little low enough to plug it into the power source, don't you? Called the outlet. And it's the same thing in our life. We'll need to bend our knees 
and go a little lower to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the authority of Christ while believing that he is faithful in every situation. And when we do that, that actually activates the work of the Spirit in our life. The Spirit's looking for the humility in us, for the surrender in us. When the Spirit sees that, we're not quenching the Spirit. We're act- do you see the difference? Paul said, do not quench the Spirit. You're either quenching the Spirit or activating the Spirit. Does that make sense? There's not a middle ground. Well, I mean, I'm not really quenching the Spirit or activating the Spirit. We're in, like, uh, we're in holding pattern in my life. There's not. You're either quenching the Spirit or activating the work of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to activate the work of the Spirit. Plus, trust me, I quench the Spirit just like you do. And that's when the Holy Spirit loves us enough to tell us we're quenching in our life. Now, the Holy Spirit will be ready to help us through all situations, and there will be situations in 2017. There's going to be situations. They're not always going to be comfortable, just as there is every year in life. But what an encouraging promise to us that the Helper, He will come in my name. He'll teach you all things, bring things to remember. Peace. Allstate can't make you these promises. Blue Cross can't make you these promises. Fidelity can't make you these promises. Not even your family or your spouse can make you these promises. Only Jesus can make these promises and keep them. Notice the source of the Spirit and the subsequent promises. The source, but the helper whom the Father will send. The Father will send. The source is the Father. Just as the Father loves the Son, he loves his sons and daughters that he's adopted. He loves you and I just as he loves Jesus. In the ministry of Jesus, the Spirit descended upon Christ, didn't it? Jesus was in the Spirit, and yet the Spirit still descended upon him. Because that should, that should give us, us a sign that we're going to need something to come down from heaven into our life. Because Jesus came from heaven, yet the Spirit descended upon him. God has sent the Spirit to live in us, to help us, to instruct us, to warn us, to comfort us, and to protect us. All of these are the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And Jesus makes the point to differentiate that what the Spirit supplies is different than what anything or anyone in the world can supply. Verse 27, in fact, uh, makes this clear. Whatever the world provides is temporal. Look what it says. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Not as the world gives. This is totally different, he's saying. This is completely different what the world manufactures. What God sends is not manufactured by man. It was sad seeing all the celebrities that died in 2016, wasn't it? I mean, it is every year, but you know, uh, it, it looked like it wasn't going to be near as many, and then all of a sudden, whoo, December came. And a lot of people, and I, like I said, I grew up in the 80s, uh, still told the folks the other night, and you know, there's some of the people that uh, passed away were iconic in, in you know, my high school years and stuff, and, and so many celebrities that passed away just in the last uh, few months, but you know, Earlier in the year, whether it was Prince or David Bowie or it was George Michael and you know Star Wars, you know Carrie Fisher and all these different uh, people, you know. But the world, the world could give Prince and George Michael could give those men fame, popularity, all sorts of pleasures, magazine covers, but couldn't give them an ounce of peace. It's well documented. They struggle with addictions with you know, drugs that would help with depression and anxiety. Both of them did, constantly. And every pleasure never seemed to work. 
And so many people think, if I had what they had, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Jesus tries to tell us this. Neither found rest for their souls and mine. Now, again, they might have asked God in the unconscious state, the last breath to come in their heart, and they might be in heaven. I, that's between them and the Lord. I don't know. But I'm saying in the life that they live, they were self-evident testimonies. They couldn't find peace constantly. Couldn't find rest for their souls. Their dependence on the other things was um, just a proof point that we all need what only God can give. Not just the salvation, but then the helper to help us live life with a purpose. What does Jesus promise to us by his spirit? I want to just enumerate these for just a minute here. What does he promise by his spirit listed out? Uh, The reason I had you read verses 20 and 21 is even though that in the Father and the Father in us and us in him, and it says that uh, he who has my commandments keeps them and loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Now the Holy Spirit activates something we all need, and that's to be loved. People are looking to be loved, and they, 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 the reason why they want fame and popularity is they want someone to love them. They're looking for some level of love. When you find God, you don't have to look for anyone to love you anymore because the one who created you loves you. But that, is, that truth is constantly reminded by the Holy Spirit. Because I don't always have a Bible in my hand, do you? But I always have the Holy Spirit in me. So even if I don't have a Bible in my hand, I can remember things that are in the Bible because the Holy Spirit will remind me, hey, I love you. You didn't get, you, you got turned down or rejected in this situation? Don't sweat it. I love you. You know, when God loves you, you can actually give people a load of grace because you're okay that God has your back. You need to be loved. The Holy Spirit will remind you. Now, he teaches us all things. I have to teach the word. If I didn't have the help of the Holy Spirit, I would have given this up a long time ago. I'm like, I don't have anything to tell these people. The Holy Spirit says, I'll teach you what to teach. Now, it's good when you just follow the word of God. You don't get into trouble. Just teach what he, but the deeper meanings and stuff, you need the Holy Spirit to actually activate and say, that verse, circle it. Now meditate on that one. Why that one? I'll tell you later, right? He'll teach us all things. He'll teach you things that you need for your life, which is not the same thing I need tomorrow. You realize that, right? We have different situations. We have different challenges. We have different obstacles. So what God will say to the Spirit through you is a little different, not doctrinally, but for the moment. That makes sense? You might need comfort. Someone else might need conviction. The same verse can speak both, by the way, depending on where you're at in Scripture. He teaches us all things. He reminds us. It says here, he'll bring to your remembrance. Because even in those days when you've become a little lukewarm, God still loves you enough to remind you that you are now lukewarm. And he might use somebody else in your life. Don't get offended. God might be using them. If they're, now, again, we want to be gently encouraging one another, but sometimes an encouragement is a reminder to me, like, oh, wow, they're being so nice and graceful. The Holy Spirit say, why aren't you? Right? It's a reminder that we need. The Holy Spirit's doing that work. Number four, peace to us. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do you know the whole world's looking for peace? Desperately trying to find peace. You know, these drug commercials that, you know, hey, are you struggling with this? 
Never mind the side effects. You will now have diarrhea, this, this, this. You know, I mean, you're thinking, uh, this sounds like a bad deal, you know. But, um, and it probably is because if people would surrender to God, we could see a lot of the things that people are in bondage to go away. I'm not saying they're all going to go away, but a lot of them would go away. Wouldn't you agree? A lot of the things people are struggling with, both in the mind and in the body, are directly related to their under the oppression of not surrendering to God. And God is allowing them. I mean, we know this is true. In the story of the prodigal son, God let the son end up in a pigsty, completely miserable, and that's what brought him back to his father. Is that true or not? Jesus tells the parable that he will allow people to get to a state of misery so they look up and say, God, I'm going to turn to you finally. That's my prayer for people in Hollywood that are one step away from being the next George Michael. That in 2017, they don't go down that path. Instead, they say, God, why am I running from you any longer? Wouldn't it be great to see some celebrities that you think could never be saved actually sitting in a Calvary chapel in Southern California, worshiping, saying, yeah, we finally gave it up. It was not worth it. He'll give us peace. And then the last one, courage. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's a lot of things in this world that make us afraid right? It's not just that he gives us peace. We need, more, we need peace. Peace, we just need to rest in. But we need courage to go in. You know, he told Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, you don't bow down, you're going to the fire. They said, bring it. If we die, we die. Guess what? They didn't die. Daniel, you either bow to this or you're going into a lion's den. Okay, send me in. Why are those old stories just for old times? They're not. Jesus is saying, you too are going to be able to walk through these things. You'll have peace and you'll have courage. I want to close here. Running out of time here. I want to refer back for just a moment. Um, None of this can be done, though without the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without his help. But he's helped us not only at the beginning, but that we keep moving forward. He's got new victories that he wants us to win. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that if you're alive, there's still more God has for you and I to do? If not, he would have already brought you home. But there's more that needs to be done. Jesus closes with this chapter, arise, let us go from here. Jesus said, I'm not, you're not going to stay in the same place. Arise, let us go from here. One way or another, we never stay in the same place. The car gets older. The car adds miles. Maybe it drives to new places, preferably not on its own, although those cars are coming apparently. For various reasons, you may get a new car or it's new to you. Maybe at work you get a promotion or you just get new, uh, new responsibilities, but things are constantly changing. New things are being added. Things are getting older. Our seasons may change. You may go from no kids to young children to teens to college years to empty nests to grandparents and even to great-grandparents. All those are seasons of change, aren't they? They keep coming. And they've come for generations before us. You know, we can go back 10 generations, and they would have seen, well, not all the college and all that stuff. That's all more modern. But they would have seen all the other seasons that we see. We, of course, change. We become older. 
hopefully wiser. We sometimes we're healthier, other times we're weaker and less healthy. And then back again. It actually can flip back and forth from year to year, can't it? And you get older, you really realize this, right? I wonder what 2017 is going to be. A good year for the knees or a bad year for the knees? Whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But everything's in movement. Even our cells are constantly changing. We have 50 trillion to 75 trillion cells in our body, and they're constantly changing. They're not on the exact same, you know, blood cells are different than skin cells. They don't, they're on the exact same uh, cycle of renewal, but they're constantly changing. Old ones are dying off. New ones are actually replacing the old. And in our lives, we have seasons of rest at times. We have great times. We have difficult times. That's why Jesus said what he said in verse 27, right? My peace I give you. You're going to need it. Not as the world gives you. It's not going to be temporary. It's going to be there through storms, through difficulties. Everything's in movement. The earth never stops turning. And yet as Christians, we either unwittingly or willfully just sit down and stop as Christians. And that's why Jesus says, arise and go. Arise and go from here. I gave, I'm giving you the helper. I'm giving you the keys to surrender and believe. Arise and go from here. We can say, no, no, this is my comfort zone. I, I want to stay right here. This is my comfort zone. I don't move from this box. But read the words of Jesus. Our belief, our obedience, the help of the Holy Spirit to finish the course he set before us. Jesus came to fulfill the works of God that God had set before him, didn't he? He came to finish those works. He didn't stop at the age of 12. He knew he had to get to 30. He knew he had to get to 33 where the work would finally be finished. He knew he wouldn't stay in the grave. That had to be finished. And he said to follow him in doing the exact same thing. Not that we're doing his ministry, but we're following him and finishing. And we have a course in 2017, don't we? I don't know what your course, I don't even know what my course is. That's the thing. God doesn't show us the course. I just know it's there. And how about you? You know it's a course that you're going to need to run, have to run this here, and he'll have the Holy Spirit to show us what that course is. But how does the course begin? One step after another. The whole journey begins with one step. That step is belief and surrender. Will we believe and go? Will we live this year as living sacrifices and surrender? Will we stay encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit? If we do these things, we will arise, we will go, and others will go with us because they'll actually say, I too want to live a life of surrender. Others will go and follow. Peter will go get his brother, right? Others will go. But we won't go in our own confidence, but in humble surrender to his commands, believing that God will honor what he said. Do you believe that? He'll honor this. He'll really activate the helper in our life. And we'll see God open doors. We'll see him change lives in this ministry, in your personal lives, and we'll grow in love and joy. Who wouldn't want that? We'll actually grow in love and joy. We really will, because that's the fruit of the what? Spirit. We'll have guidance for complex situations. Sometime this year, you're going to have a complex situation. You'll have guidance for it. You'll have peace when situations defy peace. But like Jesus, even when circumstances say otherwise, we'll be moving forward because his kingdom can't be stopped. Amen? Amen. Isn't that great to know? 
The rest of the world's going to fall. His kingdom cannot be stopped. We're on the winning side, folks. If we surrender, we have the help of the one who's won it all. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we bow our heads before you now, and we acknowledge that these words said more than 2,000 years ago have the same power today to not only radically change life, but, Lord, to sustain our lives and, Lord, enrich our lives and encourage our lives and bring us through things to things and, Lord, to fulfill what it is that you have desired to do in us, whether that is a personal work of bringing peace and joy and love in us, but, Lord, beyond that, that we also would bring that to a lost and dying world. And, Lord, we just collectively this morning, we know that we need you to cleanse us again, to renew us again, to breathe new life into us. We can't do 2017 without you any more than we could do last year. And, Lord, forgive us for those times we were resistant and disobedient. And, Lord, we want to be surrendered. We want to be living sacrifices. We want the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through us for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.